I want to talk to you tonight about the abdication of the Holy Spirit. Now just, just say that right there where you are. The abdication of the Holy Spirit. Uh, tomorrow night I may talk to you about the advent of the Holy Spirit, but tonight I'm going to talk to you about the abdication of the Holy Spirit. And while I'm doing it, I want you to take inventory. Shout right there where you are, inventory. Type it in the comments, inventory. We're not talking about everybody else tonight, we're talking about you. That's the reason I'm gonna hang out on this center camera a whole lot tonight, because I want to talk to you. It is an astounding thing Daniel said, in the last days, men will run to and fro. Knowledge shall be increased. Knowledge shall be increased. Now, don't look at somebody in your living room with you and roll your eyes like it'd be nice if yours would increase. <clears throat> Knowledge will increase. From the cross of Jesus Christ, listen to this, Dr. Lowe, from the cross of Jesus Christ, it took 1,700 years for knowledge to double. 1,700 years for knowledge to double. Up until 1900, knowledge was doubling every 100 years. So from 1,700 years to 100 years for knowledge to double. By 1945, knowledge was doubling every 25 years. By 1982, knowledge was doubling every year. In 2020, as I stand here tonight, knowledge is doubling every 12 hours. That means knowledge is quadrupling in its entirety around the world, quadrupling every 24 hours. That means tomorrow we will have four times more knowledge than we have today. How come you're not getting any? Hosea 4, 6 said, my people are destroyed. Let me give you the PRP translation because they don't know nothing because they're busy. Okay, I can't get ahead of myself. The gospel of Jesus Christ from the upper room reached to the furthest outquarters of the entire vast Roman Empire in less than 30 years. They had no radio, they had no live streaming, they had no camera, they had no typewriter, they had no cell phone in the hand with which they could access knowledge that is quadrupling every 24 hours because they use it for everything but that. They had no internet. They had no social media. They had none of those things. In fact, the great apostle Paul went to his grave saying, the whole world has heard this gospel. It is my firm conviction that no one should be allowed to hear the gospel twice until everybody's heard it once. Zechariah chapter four and verse six is where I will lift my text. 
Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. I'm going to lay out tonight, Pastor Canfield, I'm going to lay out a biblical formula, not for church growth, but for kingdom growth. There will be seven points. I'll touch on some of them and I'll lay out some of them. Number one, you must be born again. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not, neither does it know him. For he dwells with you and shall be in you. This he spoke of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that secondary requirement. Acts chapter 19, verse 2. He said to them, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said to him, we hadn't even heard there was such thing as any Holy Ghost. So the second step will be that the Holy Spirit must be restored. The Holy Spirit has vacated the premises. Elvis has left the building. The Holy Ghost has been abdicated. We have to get the Holy Ghost restored. Now, here's that Pentecostal prophet, Joel, in chapter 2. He said, and it shall come to pass after these things that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. If that's you, type in, it's me. Your sons, your daughters shall prophesy. I, oh, I, I can't break it down. Prophesy does not mean speak out a prophecy. In this context, it actually translates, your sons and your daughters shall rave and play the part of the fool for the gospel's sake. Your old men will dream dreams, where's yours? Your young men will see visions, where's yours? Some of you have spent your entire life and never had an open vision. Can I prophesy to you that when the Holy Ghost gets restored to the church, you're gonna live in dreams. You're gonna live, you're gonna walk in visions. You're gonna be made strong by the prophecies which went before concerning you. He said, upon my, my servants, my handmaidens, in those days shall I pour out of my spirit. I will show wonders in the heavens above, in the earth, blood, fire, pillars of smoke, the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. It shall come to pass that whosoever, now he said all that to say this, that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be delivered. Somebody shout hallelujah. 
Blessed be the name of God Almighty. Peter said it this way. Peter said angels would desire to go over to the edge of the banisters of heaven and gaze over the sapphire sill of heaven's gate at the wonder turning their heads sideways about what has happened to us. Angels have never known the joy that is mine, for the blood has never washed their sins away. Though they sing in heaven, there will come a time with folded wings, silently they'll listen to me sing amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost and now I'm found. Thank God I was blind, but now I see. Isaiah knew that we would speak with other tongues. Zechariah said it's going to fall like rain. Amos said it'll take some preparation. Hosea said it'll take the breaking up of your fallow ground. Malachi said what Pastor Chris was talking about. Suddenly he shall come to his temple. I got a question for you. Where had he been? We quote these little chivalrous of tradition. What that said was he will suddenly come to his temple. So if he's coming to it, that means he wasn't in it. Yet it was his temple. Why, may I ask you, is the Holy Spirit seen not dwelling in the temple of God's people. He has been abdicated. He has been asked to exit. He has been removed from the scene. He has been ignored. He has been denied. He has been blasphemed. He has been insulted. <clears throat> well, that must have been a preaching part. You hear me tonight? Jesus said, hanging there pallid and pale, wheezing and hissing and bleeding by which the very veins of God himself are emptied. And finally, he was able to utter those words, it is finished. But the church has defined those three words to mean it is over. He didn't say it was over. I don't know whether to stand up or sit down. I said he did not say it's over. It ain't over <laughs> till it's over. Time for you to hold on. Time for you to tie a knot in the end of your rope. We're talking about taking that great theological leap out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John where it's God in Christ into the book of Acts where the God in Christ becomes the Christ in you. The third thing is prayer. Just get it down. I'll come back to it. The third thing is prayer. Number four is where I've been trying to get to for some time. Conviction. Number five is repentance. Number six is revival. Let me give you a definition right, right here at the onset of what revival is. 
and what revival is not. Revival is not when that world out there gets saved. That's not revival. Revival is when the church gets saved so that it will pray, so that the conviction of the Holy Spirit will come, so that repentance may come, so that a revival may come, and then and only then an awakening. Like they had on Lewis Island where men would be walking down the street and with nobody preaching to them, nobody saying a word to them. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit so settled in upon them that they would be knocked from their feet and cry out, my God, what must I do to be saved? They'd wake up out of a deep sleep at three or four o'clock in the morning and like a zombie walk to where they could find a church meeting going on and there fall prostrate before the holy presence of God, begging God to save them and break the power of the conviction of the Holy Spirit off of their lives. Now, I have come to the point. The Holy Spirit is not optional. I don't know if you're shouting online or not. I said, the Holy Ghost is not optional. Now far be it for me to make trouble, but those of you who sit in churches where there is not one ounce of the anointing of the Holy Spirit, better get your children I feel Kentucky all over me. I said, you better get your youngins and grab your pocketbook. You better head to your car and get a speeding ticket on the way home to get away from Ichabod. Watch this. When an unclean spirit, Luke 11, verse 24, Telling you this blew up in my spirit this week. When an unclean spirit goes out of a man, we could say a place. We could say a church. We could say a city because no nation ever fell until that pulpit failed. And I can tell you right now, the pulpit has failed in regard to the Holy Ghost. I am weary with preachers and so-called saints that think it's okay for the Holy Spirit to be abdicated. Oh, but they're good people. Well, now wait a minute. To deny the Holy Spirit and his work and his manifestations and his demonstrations is sin. When a spirit, an unclean spirit, goes out of a man, what does it do? Where does it go? 
It goes to a dry place. <laughs> Underline dry place. Underline dry place. Some of you are getting ahead of me already. When an unclean spirit goes out, it goes seeking rest in a dry place. There's no place more dry than a church that has abdicated the Holy Ghost and people who have denied and, and walked away from the Holy Ghost. That's the driest place. So I'm just of the opinion, after 43 years of preaching this gospel, that most demons are not hanging out at the bar, they're sitting in church pews. There ain't nobody else brave enough to preach this. They're all a bunch of pansy preachers. Afraid they might offend somebody. What do you think this book is supposed to do? I'm getting ahead of myself. Go on. Go on. Oh, I'm going to take my time with this because it's too rich not to. A.W. Tozer. A.W. Tozer said, the average Christian these days is so cold and contented with his wretched condition, watch me, that there is no vacuum of desire into which the Holy Spirit might rush in satisfying fullness. C.H. Spurgeon said this, apart from the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. <laughs> I wish some preachers had learned that. I wish some worship leaders would learn that. We've had enough of your talent and your flesh. We'd like to have the anointing. We can do nothing. We're like ships without the wind in their sails. We're like chariots without steeds, horses to pull them, like branches without sap. We are withered. Now I'm going to place something in your spirit right now that you should remember always. Here it is. Whether it is nature or your body, there is nothing that can survive with a vacuum. Now one of our beautiful elders' wives is here with me tonight. She is a trainer of, of nurses and we salute you all. But she will tell you that what they taught her in her training is that the body cannot survive a vacuum. If they remove your kidney, your body will close up that gap. You're not listening to me. Vacuums are where diseases grow. You ever got, had a tooth pulled? And they said, now be careful, you don't get a what? A dry socket. Ah! That's healed over on the surface, but is a chasm underneath. 
because soon and very soon, that empty place will be filled with something. Oh, I'm helping you right. Listen to me. You, the body of Christ, cannot survive with a vacuum. That's why God said in Ephesians 4, be not drunk with wine, where's an excess? Neither give place, neither give place, place, topos, a position, an opening, a door open, a, a, a room not swept. Don't, don't give a place, a position of vacuum. Don't give him space. Limited by occupancy. But be filled. Your Bible says, Ephesians 5.18, be not drunk with wine, where is an excess? But be filled. Shout, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled in your mind. Filled in your body. Filled in your emotions. Filled in your attitudes. Filled in your actions. Be filled. Bezalel knew that it would be necessary to be filled with the Holy Ghost to build the temple. I don't know how we got wet behind the ears preachers that think they can do a cookie cutter church and just look like everybody else and do what everybody else. No vision from God. No mountaintop experience where they come down with their face shining like the noonday sun. They think all they got to do is go to some church growth seminar and whoop, they a pastor. Couldn't pastor a, a brood of puppy dogs. Peter said, if I'm going to preach with resurrection power, I got to get filled with the Holy Ghost. Paul said, if I'm going to have a supernatural ministry, I got to be filled with the Holy Ghost. John said, if I'm going to be effective on the island of Patmos, receiving the vision of Jesus Christ, I better be filled with the Holy Ghost. Prayer meetings in the New Testament church were characterized and the Holy Spirit filled the place where they were sitting. The Beatitudes announced to us all, being filled with the Holy Spirit is necessary uh, 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 for holy living. I'm tired of making excuses for preachers and saints that ain't. Another one popped up this week, leaving multi-million dollar ministry, going hide out somewhere, hoping the thing will blow over. The church ought to demand more. Oh, don't shout me down now. I like what my... My old friend in the pavilions of heaven now, David Wilkerson said, it may not be very revelatory to you, but it was to me, that demons can't swim. They look for dry places. They look for dry saints that haven't shed a tear in prayer on their own somewhere in a closet for the last 10 years and have the audacity to get up in front of the people of God. I'm a preacher. 
How many nights did you not go to bed praying over lost souls? I don't want to hear your prophecy. I don't want to hear your exhortation. I'll get to it in a minute if God will help me. When Moses went to the mountain, I'm going to freak you out right now. When Moses went to that mountain, if I'm preaching you good, you better type in hallelujah. I said Moses went to that mountain. He is up there meeting with God. The children of Israel have been brought out of Egyptian bondage of 400 years of slavery. Moses said, y'all hold on down here at the bottom of this mountain. I need to go up yonder. There's some preachers that need to go up yonder. There's some saints that ain't that need to go up yonder. And all you can seem to do is get to Netflix. He is up there meeting with God. And like most church folk, they're always complaining about their preacher. They got to clamoring among themselves. Well, where's Moses? We're tired of Moses being gone. We need us a God. Aaron was down yonder with the people. You know, there's always some second hand that thinks he ought to be first hand. Well, you got the people now, Aaron. Let's see how you handle it. They came to Aaron and said, we want a God. He said, get those earrings out your ears. I'll melt them down and I will make you a God. That's what is filling the pulpits of America. I'm going to say something right now, Pastor Canfield. I'm going to say something. That dead idol cost them something. I'm going to ask you a question in a minute. What kind of God are you paying for? You're paying for something right now. You paying for Netflix. You paying for HBO. You're paying for every sports channel the world ever knew. Some of y'all worship a sports team more than you worship God. Why don't you put God's gear on? Instead of celebrating and worshiping a bunch of anti-God, anti-Christ, womanizing, stealing, uneducated brutes. What are we doing? They're marching around, celebrating their wickedness. I'm making a point. Stay with me. Yeah, and I'm marching around. They got that golden calf. There it is. And Aaron said to them, Behold your God. But it was small g-o-d. Even Aaron knew it wasn't capital G-O-D. There's a lot being called Jesus that ain't got anything to do with Jesus. It's not Jesus. It's another spirit. 
It's a spirit of entertainment. Oh, great God. I said it's a spirit of entertainment. It's a spirit where because we are not filled with the Holy Spirit, there is a void left and a whole lot of room for everything but him. Ooh. Romans 1.28 says, when the Holy Spirit leaves, people are turned over to a reprobate mind. No, 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 no. Don't think about somebody. I told you, don't think about somebody else. Because if you have not felt the convicting power of the Holy Spirit since I started talking to you, you're not right. You're not right. To believe a lie and therefore be damned. Most of the people in hell will think they have no right to be there because they believed some pulpit perpetrated lie. There is no hell. Jeremiah 5, 21 said they have ears, but they can't hear. Romans 10, 17 said the just shall live by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word, not your opinion, sir, not your little cliche with a hook preaching, ma'am, not your little self-help speech, the word. Whew. I want to get back to that vacuum for a minute. Are you all all right? I want to go back to that void. First Samuel 16, 14. Let's get real serious. First Samuel 16, 14. Now remember, I told you, the Holy Spirit is an absolute requirement. Here, speaking of King Saul, your Bible says that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Now, now watch, watch, because most of you like to black this next part out of your Bible. The spirit departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. An evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. You want to talk about trouble. King Saul forsook God. He forsook his duty. And believe me, he still wore his kingly crown. He still showed up at church. But he forsook his duty. God in righteous judgment took everything that had been assistance to him through the spirit. He took his spirit from him. That spirit 
that had given him direction, that spirit that had given him guidance, that spirit that had given him assistance, that spirit that gave him insight, that spirit that kept him encouraged. God took his mercy from him. This was the effect of rejecting the spirit. This became the evidence that God had rejected Saul. When men, churches, denominations, movements, individuals, church members, deacons, singers, ushers, when men grieve, quench, deny, excuse, insult, ignore, the Holy Ghost will depart. His spirit will not always strive with you. And if he's striving with you right now, don't kick against the prince. Just say, come on, Jesus. Come on, Holy Spirit. Let me have it. I need it. When that spirit goes, all goodness goes. And I'm going to say something you should never forget. God nor his grace will ever impose themselves to rule you. Satan, here it is, and an evil spirit from the Lord was sent to him when that void was created because something will always fill the void. Something's filling the void that God left in your life. Something's filling the void that a prophecy that should have been welling up out of your belly got quenched because of what you sat at a computer screen and stared at. I wish I had 10,000 to preach to. Every void will be filled as with Saul. It will be filled in your life with every trouble and every evil work. And when I wrote this, the Holy Spirit said to me, tell them especially deception. Major portion of the church is right now overwhelmingly deceived. When truth is void, we act like everything is then benign. Do you understand there's nothing benign? Right now, everything is giving you life or it's killing you. There's no neutral ground. Why do we think there's neutral ground? Oh, we're spiritual when we're in church or getting ready for church. But what are you doing Tuesday at 2 o'clock? Where are you at 4 a.m.? Terror fills that vacuum. I've been astounded at how many people are paralyzed by fear right now. Do you know what that tells me? You're not full of the Holy Spirit. If you're fearful, you're not full. Tweet that. Into that vacuum comes corruption, comes decay. 
of your body, of your mind, of your will, of your emotions. Look at Saul. He came as so many are today. He became fretful. He became fearful. He became suspicious. Let me just rattle off a few of them for you. He became jealous. He became envious. He became a murdering spirit. A murdering spirit. Do you know what the New Testament definition of murder is? To attempt to steal another's happiness. By your in ungodly pouting and your tail bearing and your tongue wagging. Pause me right here because I left, I left Moses up there on that mountain and all those people down there celebrating. You know what they were doing, right? They were having church. They were having church. They wanted a God. Aaron gave them a God. They want, they want a church. When are we going back to church? Maybe we shouldn't go back to church till you become the church. People falling apart because they can't get in some building somewhere. Lost out on their prayer life. Lost out on their worship. Lost out on their connectedness to God. Lost out on their care for lost souls. Lost out on their prayer life. Lost out. Envious. Murderers. Here's what fills the void when the Holy Spirit is asked to go. Young men came to me weeping a week or so ago. I said, what's wrong, son? He said, I've got to get out of this church. I said, well, what's the problem? Well, they pay me a lot of money. And, uh, you know, I got some talent, so they pay me a lot. But uh, I was raised in the fire, pastor. And I said, well, what kind of church are you going to? And he told me the denomination. It's the largest Pentecostal neo-Pentecostal denomination in the world. The pastor's ordained by a Pentecostal board, but he's asked them, don't speak in tongues when you come in here. We'll keep that in our life groups, our home groups. I wish you knew how many tens upon tens upon tens of thousands of so-called Pentecostals are so backslidden they will not allow the Holy Spirit. So they're discontent. They're unsatisfied. They're plotting. They're planning in secret. They're whispers. They're trembling. They're sleepless. They're peaceless. They're timid. They're fearful. They're thieves. If you don't believe that, look at the offerings. They're burdened. They're worried. They're hateful, they're rude, they're prideful, they're self-willed. They are tormented souls made unfit. Watch me for servanthood. Much less leadership. They're a burden. 
Is that what you want to be, a burden? You're a burden. These kinds of dry men and women are burdens. They don't lift loads, they create them. They're a blight and a plight to be around. Why? They're living with an open opportunity for Satan to take them captive whenever he wants to. I have been watching for 43 years. I can sit and watch people be completely taken over by a wicked spirit. Just watch them. They used to sit here, then they moved back there. Then they moved all the way out there. Then they were too busy for midweek service. They, they couldn't get to a prayer meeting, but if you have a potluck dinner, they'll for sure be the first one. Yeah. Got to have Bozo the clown and Foo-Foo the dog to get them to come to church and got to have a circus to keep them coming. Hadn't Spurgeon said, if you have to have a carnival to get them, you'll have to have a carnival to keep them, and neither one of them are godly. Oh, I'm making people mad right now. Here's what I've seen. Light shows came and the Holy Ghost left. Superpowered preachers came and the Holy Ghost left. Great big buildings came and the Holy Ghost left. Prosperity came and the Holy Ghost left. Name it and claim it came and everybody became such baby wimped out so-called believers that they have no ability to stand in the midst of a storm. Their entire theology crumbles if somebody around them gets sick. Whew. I'm not quitting. Watch this now. I'm gonna, one time I preached for three hours and never did get Jonah out of the belly of the whale. Listen. That's funny, I don't care who you are. It's Friday night and COVID stalks the land. Why don't we just hang out together here around the Word of God? See if we can get something out of heaven. Moses up in that mountain. They down there having church. You know, God said, go ahead and have your feast days. Go ahead and have your holy days. Go ahead and light your incense. I won't be there. If the Holy Spirit was to evaporate from most churches, church work would go on as usual. Moses starts coming down the mountain. He hears, watch me, he can't see them, but he can hear their praises. He can hear their music. He can hear their singing. He can hear their shouting. He can hear their dancing. And with every step toward them, 
the holy anger of God wells up within him because it wasn't the right praise, the right worship, the right shout, the right dance. When are we going to be able to discern anything? How in the world do we sit in congregations where adulterers are breaking the word of God to us and it not go off in our spirits because we are not full of the spirit? I wish I had somebody to preach to. I might have to make this a two-parter. The next step is conviction. Now listen to this. John 16, 8. And when he, the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, this is Jesus talking, and when he, the Holy Spirit, is come, he, the Holy Spirit, will reprove Convict the world of sin. Time out. How's he going to convict of sin in a church where nobody talks about sin? Are you getting the picture? There's a void. And we think it's benign. It is not benign. It is a spiritual cancer eating the soul out of the kingdom of God. And of righteousness and of judgment. He's going to convict. That's his job. (laughs) The church has become so careless so careless it's so calloused that most of the modern church cannot and will not view the future now hold on a minute How many messages do you think most people ever hear on eternity? Nobody's talking about eternity. Everybody's talking about you in the now. Here's how you can get blessed. Here's how you can get healed. Here's how you can get delivered. Here's how you can start a business. Here, I wish preachers, if, if, you, if you want to be Dr. Phil, go be Dr. Phil. But if you want to be a man of God, find yourself an altar. They won't acknowledge the future. Watch this. God dropped this off in my spirit and it exploded like an atomic bomb. Because I preach about hell and sometimes it bothers me because, because I can't get the believers to bring any sinners to church to hear it. And do you know what God whispered in my spirit this week? He said it's not nearly as important that the world hear about hell as the church. Here's why. Because a church that has no vision of hell has no desire to pull people they love out of it. 
Here's you, here's you a text, 2 Corinthians 5, 11, Paul speaking, listen to this elder, knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Is that, is that how you we're building churches? With the terror of the Lord? With the fear of the Lord? With a respect for godliness? With an honor for the fivefold ministry gifts? With any degree of any revelation of submission? Is that all you gotta do to gather three or 400 people around is be a good talker? Just be a good talker and, and have a puppet show. There was a missionary by the name of C.T. Studd. I don't know if we have a picture of him or not. He read a statement from an agnostic named Robert Ingersoll. Now, Robert Ingersoll's father was named John. He was an abolitionist congregational pastor. He was a preacher. So much a preacher was he that he, when Charles Finney couldn't make it to a meeting, Charles Finney had John Ingersoll take his place. He also co-pastored with Charles Finney. This is John, this is Robert Ingersoll's father. But Robert Ingersoll's father, John, the congregation void of the Holy Spirit brought him up on unsubstantiated religious charges. It was so bad that John's wife was the prosecutor of John in front of the church council. Robert Ingersoll was only nine years old at the time, and he got so incensed that he became the world at that time's greatest agnostic, railing against the church, railing against the blood, railing against the cross. He was America's number one infidel, relentless enemy of Christianity. His most famous message, which thousands flocked to hear, there is no God. Well, it came to a city. Some of the pastors had a little bit of gumption about him, and they went out there and met him at the train, and they said, we don't want your message here. He simply stood back and squared his shoulders and said, why not? At least I believe and practice what I preach. They said, what? Being insulted, you see. He said, pointing his finger in the chest of one of them, if I believed what you say you believe and preach, I would not be able to be in a building day or night if I believed in a place called hell that you preach. I would be in the street taking every man by the lapels and begging and pleading and compelling him to flee to Christ to avoid such a place. But you, 
just hide out in your little building with your bell and steeple. Reading that made a missionary out of C.T. Studd. C.T. Studd's father was born again in a Dwight L. Moody meeting. And when he read that, he said, I will not ever again in my life preach in a church building with a steeple and a bell to people who are void of the Holy Spirit and dry. I will go to the furthest reaches of humanity and there I will proclaim the cross of Christ. He was one of the original seven in the China mission. There he spent his life. Then he moved to Africa where he died. He wrote a book, most of you probably heard it, Only One Life Twill Soon Be Passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I know you think Lanny Wolf wrote that. Well, he didn't. C.T. Studd wrote it, but Lanny Wolf immortalized it in that line in a song in 1973. Now, do you have 10 more minutes? I'm talking about the void of the Holy Spirit. I must share this with you. There came a final night in Babylon. A final night in Babylon. King Belshazzar was having a wonderful time, unaware that King Cyrus had been working a plan. Do you know that your enemy has a plan? Too bad you don't. He has a plan to take you out and you are presuming on the grace of God, the greatest sin in the Bible. What King Cyrus had decided to do, there was a mighty tributary of the great Tigris River that flowed into the city of Babylon and they built their wall just above that water line of that great rushing river. That river brought them their life, their sustenance. Without that river, they would have no might. They would have no power. May I remind you, your Bible says, John 7, 38, out of your belly shall flow rivers of water. Did you ever study about how Babylon got sacked? Maybe you should have done that instead of going to the movie house. King Cyrus started way back away from that city wall in Babylon and he began to dig trenches to divert the flow of the water. Then he'd move closer, dig another one. Water pooled away from that river. Then he'd go a little further and he'd dig another one and water would flow away from the mighty river. But the people inside were too busy 
to notice that the water level was sinking. It got so low that King Cyrus's army marched into Babylon underneath the wall on a dry riverbed. That night, a hand wrote on the wall. That night, that river dried up. That night, his enemies invaded the land. That night, Belshazzar died. That wasn't a tragedy. You know what the tragedy was? Nobody noticed. Their water isn't flowing like it used to. They're splashing around in a little bit of muddy water like a croaking bullfrog. No understanding that the Spirit of the Lord had departed. Samson, Samson said to Lot, shake yourself. The Philistines are on you. Samson shook himself. And your Bible said he did not know that the Spirit of the Lord had departed from him. I wonder if you've noticed. It's the same with Pentecost. I got no more need for your Pentecostal religion than I do a Shinto shrine, a Hindu cow, or a New Age crystal. We got a taut tongue, a learned dance, a memorized shout. We move tongues to the back of the room in a Bible study somewhere. We ban manifestations of the Holy Spirit. No gifts, no laying on of hands, no casting out devils. We don't have time for that. We got another crowd that needs to get in. Our singing is like the praise and worship that Moses heard coming from that bunch celebrating that golden calf. And nobody notices. Counseling has replaced deliverance. We've dimmed the lights because we love darkness because our deeds are evil. We've removed doctrine. We've removed biblical truth. We no longer preach the cross, sin, repentance, the baptism with the Holy Spirit, prayer, divine healing, deliverance, the rapture of the church. It's all disappeared and the enemy has breached the walls. feel like I should have gotten this ready for Dominion Camp meeting. Oops, we're not having it this year. Form of godliness, deny the power thereof. If and when they pray, their prayers in the ears of God sound like a bunch of skeletons' teeth clacking together. There's no power. There's no passion. There's no purpose. There's nobody saying during COVID-19, when people are breaking their backs to get them a paycheck that come and knock on the door and say, hey, what can I do to help? 
But when you give them an assignment, they want to retort back to you. It's not in their job description. I hope you quit tomorrow. You got some spirit, but it's not his. The river dried up. I know it's 845. If you're taking medicine at nine, you got 15 minutes. I'm under the harness and I'm not ready to throw it off. Once that river dries up, here's what we've got. Here's what we've got in the church. Once that river dries up, anything and everything can breach the walls. And it already has. And if you didn't notice when he left, how do you think you'd notice when the Antichrist spirit came? Sin is placated, excused, whitewashed. Not just in the church. You do it too. Attendance is down. The number of churches is down. More churches are dying than are growing. Passion is down. Evangelism is down. Everything is down and nobody notices. Because after all, we got a pew and we go to that church building and we sing songs and then we pray and then we go home. Ravi Zacharias, and I'm going to close here directly. Ravi Zacharias, the greatest in my opinion, and my opinion is pretty good. In my opinion, the greatest Christian apologist of his and most other generations. I heard him say something, and I wrote it down. Ravi said, this is the problem of man. He no longer knows what to laugh at. And he no longer knows what to weep at. So you turn on your TV screen and before you know it, you're looking at some seduction. Instead of weeping at it, you continue watching with great intrigue as the story unfolds before you. You watch illegitimacy transpire before your eyes and flowing as a spirit into your home, into your mind. And because Hollywood has convinced us that it's entertainment, therefore it's okay we become entertained rather than sitting there with a crushed spirit, a broken heart, and a contrite spirit. I often wonder if my Lord Jesus were able to stalk some seats of a Broadway play or sit in some of our modern theaters where things are perpetrated, things are shown to us where jokes 
are made of the virgin birth, where Christianity is demeaned and mocked, where illegitimacies are glorified and exalted, that which is vulgar is intended to make us laugh, that which is sacred is intended to make us weep. Rather than sit there in awe and gratitude for the sacred, what has really happened between the education system and everything else going on, we've lost the differentiation between laughter and tears. It is vitally important what you laugh at. It is vitally important what we weep at. What breaks your heart tells God who you are. What makes you laugh tells God who you are. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Revival when the church gets saved. And then a great awakening. But I'm going to tell you this. It's going to take preaching like this. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If the pews are made of satin or two by sixes. It doesn't matter if there's a light show or a 45 watt light bulb hanging down on a cord. If I had my choice, I'd be where God was. Now I know that most of you thought, well, this is a Pentecost meeting. They'll be shouting and running and dancing. I, I, I put that before the Lord and he said, I've had enough worship at the golden calf. Where are the broken hearts? Where are the prophets weeping between the porch and the altar? Where are the church mothers walking back and forth with a little white handkerchief with tears dripping off of their chins, begging for their grandchildren to be saved, some of which are grandchildren in churches right now and have no relationship. They have a form of God. They have no relationship with the God of their grandparents. I intend by the help and the grace of God to raise up an army of one million people who will pray every day for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to fall in our churches once again. You may have never known the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to pray this prayer with me. I want you to pray this prayer with me right now. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. First of all, are you convicted? Do you understand that your sin separates from you, separates you from God and everything that's holy and everything that's good and everything that's pure? And that's why all that other stuff flows into your life and defeats you. We got to repair the breach. We got to close the gap. Unless you find a place of repentance and God saves you, 
Your future is eternity in a place called hell. But you don't have to go there. That's the good news. Hell was not made for you. It was made for the devil and his angels. You go there, you'll be an intruder on him forever. Open up your heart right now. You recognize your need of a savior. You were born in sin and you've done a good job of sinning because that's who you are. You, 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 you're not a sinner because you sinned. You sin because you're a sinner. And until you can admit that and fall before God himself in his holiness, his purity, and say, God, save me, I'm a sinner. You'll never know the joy of his blood washing your sins away. But you can know it right now. You'll just open up your heart and say this with me, Lord Jesus, I come to you. Born a sinner, I've committed sins. Please forgive me. Lord Jesus, I'm a church goer, but I'm convicted tonight. There's something in my life that is not right. I bring it to you now. I honestly present it before you, a holy God. And I ask you to forgive me. Restore the joy of my salvation. Save me and give me a home in heaven. And I'm going to learn to serve you as Lord of all. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Type in there, saved. Type it in right now, right now, right now. Now don't go anywhere because I got to talk to you. I am so thankful to be bringing you these three nights. And uh, I, got, I got quite a bit up out of me tonight. But believe me, there's a whole lot more that I want to share with you. Tomorrow night at 7 o'clock and Sunday morning at 10 o'clock, three days of fire. I'm going to come to you now. If you were seated here, I'd be sharing that the ushers needed to make themselves ready, but they're not here and neither are you. So I have to ask you this way. And I'm believing God that we will receive. I need you to believe with me a tremendous financial miracle for this ministry tonight tomorrow night and Sunday morning. This is one of three commanded times of the year that God says, come before me and I'll draw nigh to you, but don't come empty-handed. Passover, 50 days later, Pentecost, then all the way in the fall, maybe we'll be back in here then, tabernacles. I'm sure we will. Pentecost is a season of the release of power. I've got a beautiful little book that I just wrote. I, I may share it with you tomorrow night. It's called The Mysteries of Pentecost Power. Now, if you think it's surface stuff, it's not. It's, it's material like you've heard and been blessed by tonight. The Power of Pentecost book 
and I'm going to send you two vials of anointing oil for your love gift of any size. For $50 or more tonight, I'm going to send you two brand new messages, one called Fire, one called Light. It's a two-disc set. It's called After His Passion, Holy Ghost Revival, and After His Passion, 12 Essential Keys to a Holy Ghost Awakening. I want you to have them, and the book, The Mysteries of Pentecost, and the two vials of oil. That's for everyone that will sow tonight a Pentecost seed of $50. But now hold on, because I don't think you're going to want to make your decision yet. We are constructing right now at the great Calvary Memorial the world flame of Pentecost. It is a most beautiful structure. It's a globe with the continents cut out and live fire coming out of those continents as we believe God for a third great awakening to hit the world. For your $100 gift, I want to engrave your name, the name of a loved one, on a brick. You'll get all the other things I just shared, but I want to engrave your name on a building brick at the base of the eternal flame at Calvary Memorial. And you'll get all of the other materials I shared with you. Now, I'm going to believe God tonight for at least 10 people who have been blessed and believe that we must have preaching like this to sow a $1,000 seed. Television stations are calling every day. Can we please get breakthrough on the air? And I say, well, when the finances are supplied, we'll be real glad to be there again. There's no reason we should be on less stations today than we were 10 years ago. God preserved me for such a time as this. I'm believing God for 10 people tonight to sow a sacrificial Pentecost seed of $1,000. Is that you? Am I talking to you right now? A $1,000 seed. When you do, I'm going to engrave a beautiful plaque as the foundation of the brand new Pentecost eternal flame at Calvary Memorial. Would you do that? I'm believing God for 120 people to sow a $1,000 seed this Pentecost season. 120. Will you be one of the upper room fellowship and sow a $1,000 seed and be a part of bringing a third great awakening to the world? I hope you will. We're going to share with you how you can sow your seed in just a moment. But stay right where you are because I want to pray the blessing of God upon you mightily and powerfully. Father, in the name of Jesus, I loose the mighty 
Holy Spirit of God into the atmosphere around every single person. Fill every heart, fill every mind, fill every body, drive out every foul thing, every sickness and disease, every pain and malady. I rebuke you, I command you to go fear, torment, sin, infidelity, addiction. I cast you out and believe for a mighty infilling of the Holy Spirit. Hey, thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed it, I want to invite you to tell someone in your life about the podcast. Hope you'll do it today. Head on over to iTunes and leave a review. Share it on your social networks for me. Really helps me get the word out. I'd love for you to connect with me on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. No easier way for me to minister to you every day and throughout the day and for us to join together in faith as God moves in and through your life. You can find links to all my pages at rodparsley.com. God bless you now, and I hope you'll listen again soon.